The safe word is starting now. We have the exact same hobbies. Really? Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no I have that's pets. Not true. I have pets. But we do. We read well and I swim. But we read and we garden. You also do interesting tile work and mosaic and glass work and <laughs> Hello everybody. I'm your host, Antoine R. Martin, he him pronouns, and you are listening to the Safe Word, the official podcast of the Safe Alliance. Uh, we continue to record over Zoom for the sake of everyone's safety, but uh, I'd still like to thank our friends at Co-op Radio, where we used to record before the pandemic. So if at some point in the future on one of these recordings, you notice a sudden improvement in audio quality, it's probably because we're back in their awesome recording studio. Joining me today, we have SAFE's current co-CEOs, Kelly White and Julia Spann. Um, more on why I said current in a moment, but to get things started, could you both just introduce yourselves and tell us um, how long you've been with SAFE? Yeah, I'll start. I'm Julia Spann, and I started at SAFE in 1995 when it was the Center for Battered Women. Then I left for a couple of years in between and came back and um, have seen it through the mergers of many different organizations, but I'm in, I think you're number 23 altogether, wow. 22 or 23, something like that. Um, my name is Kelly White. I'm uh, she, her, and I uh, came to the Center for Better Women as the executive director in 1993. We merged with the Austin Rape Crisis Center in 98 and became Safe Place. So I stayed through the end of 2003. And then I too left for a few years and um, came back to be the CEO of the Austin Children's Shelter. And then we merged the Austin Children's Shelter and Safe Place to become safe. And totally, I've been with the organization. Um, really, I've been since, I mean, because I never really, really totally went away, but I did leave my job and come back. So I've been here about 23 years as well. And not, not to bring up any uh, rough memories, but I know before I started, there was like this awkward lift alliance phase. Was was that, what was that about? <laughs> I, I, I this is that, so we were trying to figure out the name and a group came in and pro bono, you know, a branding group. And this is what they came up with. And we tried it. I mean, they gave us this whole thing and we tried it and it, it wasn't working very well. And I love, I give credit absolutely to the person that came up with the name that Julia and I were sitting in Lucy Baines Johnson's office. And Lucy said, I get this. It's really about stopping abuse for everyone. I was like, voila, <laughs> that's our name. So I named ourselves the Safe Alliance. And I said, Lucy, you did this. And she said, oh, lots of people probably came up with it. I said, no, it was you, you did it. Wow. That really worked out, especially when you look at like the safe line, you know, our, our number. Yeah, has, it's has worked safe. out very well. Yeah. yeah. So, but safe, safe wasn't exactly your first role in anti-violence work, right? Did you have, what did you do before? My first role in anti-violence work, very specifically anti-violence work, I, I was the executive director of Denver Safe House, which mm -hmm. is a domestic violence program in Denver. But prior to that, the program that I was also executive director of, which is what I say, I'm the longest surviving executive director, maybe in the world. But and I ran a program 
that was for children that was integrated and also had a child abuse component, a child, child protection component to it. But it was lots of other things as well. And then I left that to go and run Denver Safe House. And I did that for five years. What about you, Julia? I started my professional career working the floor at a children's shelter. So basically doing something similar to what youth care workers do. Also a little bit about um, at children's shelter and maybe a little bit like what children's advocates at the Legacy Safe Place did. I first started driving the bus and taking kids on activities at this children's shelter and then working the overnight shift. And it was great. And then I moved into uh, doing foster care and protective daycare services. You know, I don't know that I even considered it anti-violence work at the time. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it felt more like an orphanage almost mm. back in the, you know, it was the seven, late 70s, early 80s. And it, I don't think it was until I got into the protective daycare field, which was interesting that that's sort of a similarity that Kelly and I had, both of us working in programs that were supporting through daycare services, kids who'd been abused. Yeah. So it wasn't until that point that I realized it was violence prevention work mm. that I was doing. The thing that I would add in for me, that's just so important is that I also came out of having, out of a very abusive marriage, one in which, and had, and came from generational patterns of violence and abuse as are seen so often with the people that we serve. And so um, it was something that I had been in a shelter. My uh, children had been harmed. I saw this across my extended family. And so it was something that I very much knew and was able to bring that experience to my work. Do you think that's part of what got you into this line of work? It absolutely got me into it in the because I was escaping that situation and I had to have a job because I was a single mom of two little boys and it was the job I got offered. <laughs> so, so um, and did I specifically set out to to do this? No, I didn't. But once I did, it became very clear that it was really what I was meant to be doing. Kelly tells her. Kelly tells a really interesting story about her interview at Denver State House. And when they asked her a question about, have you ever known anybody who's been abused? And your and answer said, was? Yes. <laughs> As a matter of yes. fact. No, no, I didn't say because I knew at that time that if I said, yes, me, that uh, they wouldn't hire me. And I I had signed a quit claim deed on my house. I had given it back to the bank. I'd quit my job. I was moving someplace where I didn't know a soul and I needed a job. And if I had said me, they wouldn't have hired me. And later on, in fact, that's what they said. Mm -hmm. uh, once I did start talking about it and they said, yeah, if you had told us, we wouldn't have hired you. And by that point they were like, but it's fine now. It's okay now. <laughs> the times have changed. Yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, I know just like there, there are a lot of survivors oh. who work at SAFE. It's yeah. entire programs led by survivors. Yeah. But when I came to my interview at the Center for Battered Women at that one, which was in 93, mm -hmm. so I guess it was in um, the, the 80s that I was, uh, it was early 80s that I was at in Denver. I said to the board, 
as they were interviewing me, I said, I am a, I am a, I'm, the language was used at the time. Mm -hmm. I am a formerly battered woman. I have lived most aspects of this program and I bring it to my work every day. And if you don't want that, then I'm not the right person for you. So times had changed. Yeah. Well, uh, thank, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And as awful as that is, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you are part of this work because I think you have made an incredible difference. And and having you on the on the podcast is kind of bittersweet because I've been planning to invite you all on for a while. And now that you're here, one of you is retiring very soon. Uh, Kelly, you recently announced. Oh, I wonder who's been around forever. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> um, what, what's your, how, how did you, why, why are you retiring now? And, and, you know, what's, what's your plan for once you retire? I'm retiring because it's, it's really time for my, for my family. We've had a lot of, of really pretty difficult circumstances right. over the last, even just six months. I am of an age and I sat in a hospital room over the Christmas holidays and thought, I hope that I didn't wait too long. Mm -hmm. And it was really a, a pledge to myself and a moment that was, I need, I, it's time for me to have some time for other, for some other priorities in my life. Cause this job is pretty all consuming. Yeah. And so considering how all consuming it is, what are you going to do once you have a little bit of uh, that time back? I'm very worried about all that time. I'm very <laughs> worried. I do have a lot of hobbies <laughs> yeah. that I've not that I've not had time to really spend time on. So I'm a gardener, I'm a reader, I swim, uh, and I thought, okay, rather than swimming once a day, I'm gonna swim twice a day. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I do, I do, I, I like to do um, uh, glass work and mosaic work, and oh, um, cool. so and, and and I just bought a book on quilting. <laughs> so, but we'll see. I I mean, I really. I have a lot of things I like to do. So, and most importantly, I have a husband I can spend more time with, and I have grandchildren that are the lights of my life. And not a one of them lives here in Austin, so oh, we'll have time for them. That's nice. More time to visit. So, yeah, getting back to safe a little bit. What's what's uh, what's planned for safe? Julia gets to do that one. Yeah. What's planned for safe? Well, obviously, Kelly and I have been operating as co-CEOs for um, quite some time. When we made that agreement with the board of directors, the decision was made that should one of us retire, which we knew one of us would at some point, that the other one would take over as the sole CEO. So we'll be doing some restructuring, and in the very near future, we'll be announcing what that will look like. Um, because sort of the work that Kelly and I do truly is two plus people. Right. <laughs> and so we'll be looking at um, restructuring and creating a leadership structure that supports the work of the agency and helps us address some of the needs that are currently sitting in front of us, needs of the organization. We continue to be a growing organization. There's new projects that we're bringing on and at the same time, we also have to really think about all the necessary support that you have to have to be able to uh, create the foundation, a secure foundation for all of our brilliant programs to be able to thrive in. So that's the challenge of the moment is how we do that. And, you know, things look different today than they looked 
five years ago and 10 years ago and 15 years ago. And the, the thing that I love about SAFE and its predecessor agencies is that we're not scared of change. It's hard. And there are times where we wouldn't mind avoiding it, but, um, but I would also say that, you know, we're a learning, growing organization. We always have tested ourselves about uh, always learning and trying to do our work in uh, different ways. And this is, this is an opportunity to kind of take a, to take a look at some of the areas that we need to address. I look forward to hearing more about you know, what changes are in store. And I know, it, I mean, you're saying it's a growing agency and it's already, it's already a, a big local nonprofit, you know, where we've got some what, 30 programs in that area. And yeah. Yeah. The stats are 30 programs. If we are fully staffed, we'd be close to 400 staff and, uh, and our budget is 27 and a half million dollars. Right. So. so it's it's a big for a community-based nonprofit, we're pretty sizable. So that that's great. I'm sure we'll talk more about safe, but um I know when so when I was a I used to be a news reporter, I said it on the podcast before, I've told you before, you know. Um, but when I was a reporter hanging out with all my reporter friends after work, we'd always spend forever talking shop. And I always had one friend who was really good about saying, we're multidimensional people. We don't just have to talk about work. Um, (laughs) So tell me and the listeners a little about yourselves outside of work. We know Kelly uh, likes to garden and swim and read and do glasswork. Um, Julia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, you know, I have some of those same hobbies. I'm a huge reader and I also am a gardener, but also we're getting ready to renovate our house. So that's kind of sitting um, as a big project in my home these days. We're getting a big screened in porch and the conversation in our house between my partner and I is he always says it's a screen porch and I say it's a screened in porch and apparently <laughs> that is southern talk or Texas oh, yeah. talk is to say screened in so <laughs> no 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 I'm from Kansas and we say screened in okay yeah uh, yeah what's he and, on about and Paul is from he's from here so what's he saying he's not Texan <laughs> he's just wrong <laughs> Uh, Julie and I trade seeds back and forth. I mean, this is, yeah, we're, yeah, it's a, nice. how many seeds right now that I should have shared earlier? I've got, I could do an entire wildflower meadow. You know, I've had for a long time, I have been collecting and harvesting and drying seeds and uh, uh, in particular with poppies. At one point, my kitchen looked like I was, you know, had an opium (laughs) den going, but Wow. It, it's very zen. Yeah. I imagine your gardens are in conversation with each other then. There's so much sharing. Yeah. It's so funny. I when uh this was in the, the fall and my um canis. Is that right, Julia? We're blooming. And I said, you know where the um and Julia said, Oh yes, yes, those were from my brother's your brother's garden in Burleson when he moved, and I took some and put them in my garden where I used to live and then I dug them up and brought them over here and now I'm ready they're ready to be separated so I can share some back with Julia it's, you know, we have entire oh 
are banana trees. I mean, we have entire plant genealogies going on. It's very cool. <laughs> we also live fairly close to each other, but my garden tends to bloom first most years. Her roses have yeah. outdone mine this year. Well, not yet. Yeah, oh, so not when yet. I got when I got the the sprout from the banana tree, which was stuck, and I walked up and got it and walked back with it. <laughs> Just like maybe this I should have driven. This is maybe was a drive. <laughs> Wow, I wonder what caused, if you're fairly close by, does just like the sun hit Kelly's garden first or something? Yeah, it, usually mine's, mine starts blooming before hers. Oh. Don't know why. But Julia is, as, as I think she has a little more, we can talk gardens for a long time. <laughs> she's got a little more of the, of the because she's, she's close to two major streets and I think she gets that city reflection heat more than, than I do. Oh. Yeah. I love this. We... We can talk gardens. Hey, you should start a gardening podcast once uh, you retire, Kelly. I would kind of love that. <laughs> I don't know if I do a podcast though, but oh my gosh, yeah. Um, you both mentioned reading. What books are you reading right now? Oh gosh, I just finished reading. Ugh, I'm terrible about the names of the books I'm reading, but I just finished reading one about the founding fathers, mm. the U.S. founding fathers, and how they all ended up being really disappointed with the way things were going early on in the first 40 years of our nation's history. And that was fascinating. So uh, I, I know exactly. I can tell you what one I'm reading because I feel like it will never end. So the, the net, I think it's Netflix, but whichever series did the wheel of time. And I love science fiction. And so my friend said, oh, you need to read the and my nephew, who I really have trusted his his recommendations, and he's like, oh, you've got to read the series. Well, it turns out it's like 15 books long, something like that. And I think the guy needed a good editor, let me just say. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I will never finish these books. So the book that I have teed up to read is, oh, you know, the one by, about Lincoln, A Team of Leaders. Okay. And I, I think I've got that wrong. But but no, I think I will be reading Wheel of Time series for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's <just> unending. <laughs> uh, that's, I, I recently finished reading a science fiction book, um, Octavia E. Butler's um, Parable of the Sower, which... I love Octavia Butler. Yeah, and um, it's kind of like a little bit post-apocalyptic. It's really good. Um, it's... I've got these religious undertones about how uh, a big part of it is that God is change. And huh. um, it's it's a really special book and, and also really sad because I understand it was meant to be a trilogy and she wrote two of the books and didn't get to the third one before she passed so, away. So I've been trying to avoid um, apocalyptic novels during the... the um... Oh, Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it, it was, uh, it's hard to read if, uh, considering our times and if you're, if yeah, you're I've been trying to, I just like, I, I want something that, that would never happen at all or, or, or nonfiction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, just give me. yeah. The, the other thing I'm reading right now, I just started another book in the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett and it's, oh, I've read some of the, yes. Yeah, it's fantasy, but it's like satirical fantasy. It's really funny. He's hilarious. those are my son's favorite. 
Yeah. And you probably would get along with him well. Oh, yeah. See, yeah. see, nerd. His own person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more. Let's see. What did you, you said you have pets. What pets do you have, Kelly? I have two dogs. Um, I have Ruby and Buddy. Uh, and Buddy is a big Yorkie, and Ruby is a small uh, Australian shepherd. Nice. Um, Ruby is very much the shepherd. She makes Buddy's life miserable. Cute. Uh, do you have Julia? Uh, we have fish. And um, we, for a long time, I don't know if you can storm pets, though. That was one of the impetuses to get them in the beginning was we had chickens. And we had well over a dozen chickens in our backyard here in the middle of the city for a long oh, time. But cool. they have all aged out and passed away and um so which is probably good because chickens stop laying as they get older and we continued to buy that organic feed and so by my calculations we were getting each egg was running about fifty (laughs) dollars yeah so we're out of the chicken business but all of that chicken poop really helped my garden So that, that's the way to, to look at that cost analysis then. It's not that it's $50 per yeah. egg. It's what other areas are you seeing growth in? Yeah, that's true. Okay, just to get, get back to work uh, a little bit, um, I wanted to ask, what's, what's something each of you have done that you are really proud of? Oh, I've had lots of opportunity to reflect. And I really think that probably the most important thing that I did, which I kind of started with, was, was that I... I really brought the voice of survivor to the forefront. When I first started, nobody was talking about it. I know that's hard to believe because now there's, it's, it's, I don't think there's the shame associated with it now, but um, there was, there was shame and there was a lot of othering. And I can remember standing with a group of, of news reporters and them saying, um, well, but where are the, where, but you know, we want to talk to the actual women that have been abused. I'm like, that would be me. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is not some, happening to somebody else. It's happening to all of us. And I think that is absolutely the most important thing that I have done through my decades in this work. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it shows through the, like, as soon as I started here, and because a big part of my job is writing and editing stories for external communications, and a huge part of that storytelling is uh, talking about survivors in a way that honors the survivors and their experiences and not in a way that is exploiting and, um, and you know, potentially re-traumatizing. Uh, and I think, yeah, a lot of that comes from, from some of that foundation that you laid. Yeah, one of the stories that I love telling about Kelly is that one time um, she and I were going to visit the president of ACC College. And Kelly, you remember this. We were sitting in the waiting room waiting to meet with her. And Kelly got involved in a conversation with the receptionist who talked about who was telling Kelly about her own survivorship. And Kelly was sharing that story. And the president came out and invited us into her office. And Kelly said, I'll be with you after I finish this conversation. <laughs> and I thought, yes, yes, that is how the world should work. And that is how people should treat each other. 
that it was not about power and position. It was absolutely 100% about the person in front of you who is sharing their story and needs to be heard and, and helped in that moment. And I felt so proud to be Kelly's friend. Oh, that's really beautiful. And now what do you feel good about that you've done? I've built a few things. There are a few buildings that might have drainage problems or whatever as a result of having a social worker involved in that process. But I have built a few things and I feel really good about that. I feel really good about the collaborative work that we've done with community partners. I've been able to lead some pretty exciting partnerships that continue to live on and that SAFE still is a member of. And that's been exciting. Um, I think that I have brought into the agency a solid understanding about the dimensions of abuse that are outside of the violence. I have always been a big advocate of anti-poverty work, of housing, of homelessness, about the different intersections that folks face. And so I've I'm kind of a generalist. I don't have Kelly's abuse history. And so my experience is as a a social worker who is a generalist because I believe that people bring their whole selves and, and, you know, sometimes what they really need is just basic needs in that moment. And we've got to be really responsive to that. And my family experience is different than Kelly's, but, uh, you know, the, the things that have happened in my family that also have led to having a deeper understanding of people's deep multiple connections, multiple issues that they bring with them. I think the second thing that I would say that prob- I would, I'm going to speak for Julia, that I think we both are just um, extraordinarily thankful that we've been able to do is to bring forward what some people call the safe model, but that is that is this understanding and this ability to put together these, these services that address the whole person. So without having to make it be in silos, is that you're, you know, it, it's not about just addressing the fact that you were that you were abused as a child or you were just sexually assaulted or you were sexually assaulted by your husband, so you have to fit into a DV, domestic violence mold, is that we really put together this model and that's very holistic and tries to address the, the needs and services and respond where, where people need to have that response. And it is, it is, it is, it is so, it is a, it's a monumental change for the way in which these issues have been addressed in the past. And it works. And it's, in my opinion, everybody should be trying to do this. It's every community needs this kind of holistic response. The other thing that we've done really well, both of us, is that we're good hirers. Like we have hired some magnificent folks into this agency. And um, and we're surrounded by lots of leaders that are extraordinarily good at their job and are amazing experts, a field of experts that far surpass my knowledge level on domestic violence or sexual assault or child abuse, uh, that the, the depth of the prevention work and the people who work in that area is just, it just goes on and on and on. So we've been able to really have the good fortune to be able to hire so many brilliant 
folks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, another big part of my job is media relations and connecting reporters to experts. And there are there are a dozen people come to mind who I could point to as like, this is the person you need to talk to. Oh, they're not available. Let me check with this other expert who can talk to you. <laughs> yeah, one of our former board members who is a national expert on issues of especially domestic violence and sexual assault has said that the staff of SAFE are the thought leaders in the field. And, and I feel really proud of that, that, that we've been able to, you know, our, our training for people, our core advocacy training, the just the depth of knowledge that, that folks have from their supervisors and from our training is really exciting. Yeah. And, and again, we're not scared to try to evaluate ourselves, to try to do things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Super excited about that. You know, and then I'll close on this question. Uh, looking forward, what do you think still needs to happen? What's next? Um, I'll start, and then Kelly can uh, tell us what we need to do when she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we still have work in our organization in the world to do around anything around making all people feel included and that they belong. And so we get to do that. Uh, excited about it. And so that faces us. We live in a community that is not affordable for the people that we serve and for our staff. And we have big plans around additional housing and affordable housing. Of course, for survivors, staying very mission focused about why we do it. But, um, you know, whether it's advocating for additional resources just in affordable housing all the time, we, we just, that's, that's a new frontier that we'll be able to address. And personally, I think our Safe Future program should be mandated a mandated program of anybody who's doing work in the fields of child abuse and domestic violence. And I don't know how we're going to get to do that. Maybe we'll be contracting with Kelly to run a campaign on that. Um, I don't think it needs to be a brilliant program. And I have a meeting that is this week that is I'm working really hard to to get to the point where safe futures like I am not I am not stopping. I've still got full pedal to the metal because Safe Futures is, it's a life-changing program. It was safe before safe was safe. And um, I, it, it's, it's keeping families together and safe and it's keeping children out of the foster care system. And we are, we are gonna get that. I don't know if it'll be mandated, but it will. we're gonna do everything we can to grow that so that we can, on a broader scale, can change more lives. I also think that when you've been doing this work for a very long time, you get really committed to prevention. That it it takes a chunk out of my heart, and I'm sure others of us who've been doing it for a really long time, to see children of the survivors that we've sheltered before come back in. And so whatever we can do to uh, do more prevention is really important. And that's why we view housing and additional housing as a violence prevention program. People can't feel safe. They can't feel protected if they don't have a safe place to live. Very true. And ultimately, I wanted to say in one thing, and I think it is time that we have to close because I know Julia needs to get to another meeting, but ultimately we would like nothing better than to not have to grow, to not have to create new programs, new buildings, 
our, our mission, stop abuse for everyone. That is what we want. That is what we want. A beautiful world if we could get there to put ourselves out of business. So what we'll do is we'll come and we can take down all the buildings and we can make massive playgrounds and fields and gardens, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, running tracks and healthy places to hang out and be. That's the idea. All right. Well, thank you both for being here and thank you everybody for listening. My name's Antoine R. Martin. I am the, I've been talking to Kelly White and Julia Spann, our current co-CEOs. And this is The Safe Word, the official podcast of The Safe Alliance. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.